I ask you to turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. I don't always take into account how long it may take me to read my passage. And this morning we're going to read verses 4 through 52. Oh, y'all, it's okay. Y'all don't have to go that route. We'll make it. I can read. But we are excited again to be back with you. We're considering just thinking about everything that we've heard in the announcements today. It's good to see so many things happening. I do want to encourage you next week is a big Sunday as we gather together. We'll have our lunch with the staff. We're, we're uh, thankful for you to be here. If you're a guest with us, we'd love you to join us for lunch with the staff. Learn more about us. We'll have our evening time together next week as we gather together as one body in the evening at 5 p.m. to celebrate the Lord's Supper. So we're excited about all of that. I, I like to say that the health of a church is oftentimes seen in so many different ways. You think about health. I, I remember my first car. I don't know if y'all can remember your first car. My first car was a 1982 Dodge Challenger. Nothing classic about it. There was always something wrong with my first car. In fact, uh, as I would drive it to school, the exhaust system leaked. So you never know when it may lose power. Do y'all know how that works? So you'd be cruising through the parking lot of my high school, which was about 3,000 students, big crowd. That was the scene to ride through the parking lot. You'd be cruising through the parking lot and making yourself known. And... All of a sudden, a huge backfire. Boom! But my, my problem was when my car backfired, it would slow down to where it had zero power. So it'd be boom! And then I'd just roll. <laughs> Giving everybody plenty of time to go, what was that? And find out what it was. When a friend of mine would ride with me, I would just, he'd say, what's that noise? And I'd say, oh, don't worry about that. And I'd cut the music up. <laughs> Can't hear it, you know. Turn up Clint Black CD or something like that and just let it roll. My car, like everything else, had a needed a health check quite regularly. And so we're thinking about the life of our church and how we measure health of a church and how important that is. And, and there are numbers that we look at, and those numbers are important when we consider who's coming and, and, and the gifts that are given and other things. But maybe I think the most important thing that we can do to measure the health of our church is not so easily found. We talked about this when it talks about the generous hearts of the people. How do you measure that? But even, even more than that, I remember uh, considering a, a phrase in ministry uh, that has stuck with me. And I think as I, I think about today and look into our passage in Acts 13, um, this quote, I can't find really who is the originator of it. I, uh, uh, so many people have said it and so many people have, have brought it to our attention. But I think it is right. When he said, this quote says, the mark of a great church is not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. Not its seating capacity, but its sending capacity. And so oftentimes we, we think of the, the largest of those who come, but maybe the greatness of the body of Christ is seen in who we send and who we send out to share and give the gospel to. And I think that when we look at our passage we consider how many people are coming as important, surely. But we want to think about, just as we celebrated today with Pastor Stephen, those that we're sending out from us to share the good news. 
Antioch in chapter 13 of Acts is the prototype of what a healthy church is in this way, I believe. As Antioch is gathered together, we saw last week, they, they gathered together, they prayed, what is it you would have us to do? And the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, said, send. And so you get at the end of verse 4, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And so when we move into to, uh, at the end of verse 3 there, we move into verse 4, we'll start seeing what that means to be sent. And so I want us to look at this passage this morning to discover what it means to be sent and to be a sending church. And what are we sending them out with? What are we sending them into? And so ultimately, we see that in verse 4. And I want you to follow along with me. I'm going to read the rest of chapter 13 as we move through this. And we'll see the Apostle Paul, and you'll see his name changed or referred to as Paul in this from Saul. So you'll see that. You'll see a couple other things here. This ultimately will have within it his first sermon that is recorded in Acts. And so let's read this together, starting in verse 4, having been sent out by Antioch. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there, they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was the proconsul, with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead, them, lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail for Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All of this took, took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. 
Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandal of whose feet I am unworthy to untie. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. And as, far, as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not seek corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astonished and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that... You will not believe, even if one tells it to you. And as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It is good for us. And so as we look to it today, help us, God, to understand what it means to be sent by you into a world that is desperate for you. God, we pray that you would make our church one that sins. All of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. To get to our point then, as we think about what it means to be a sending church, and if I could just remind you of this Antioch church here in chapter 13 that, that sent out 
Paul and Barnabas, I, I believe what they look like for us is this prototype of the, the church, of what it should be and what we should be looking like. So, as I said before, if you're considering yourself to be a healthy church, then you must be a church that is sending. But also, as we saw last week, you take all of these men that were there, Barnabas and Saul, Paul, as we see in this passage, these were the two of the best here. These were the ones that were leading the church. And so the church did not seek to keep them, but send their best out with Paul and Barnabas. And so how did they send them out? And I want to just look at three different ways that we understand what it means to be sent out here. And especially in context of the local church as the, as the body of Christ. First, we are sent by the Holy Spirit. We are sent by the Holy Spirit. We noticed this last week in verses 1 through 3. They were praying. They were fasting. They were worshiping. And as they were, it says, the Holy Spirit said in verse 2. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them. And then as they prayed and fasted together again, they sent them off. They were sent off. And it picks up with that same understanding in verse 4 here. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit. And so ultimately, my first point is just simply verse 4. We are sent out by the Holy Spirit. The gospel advances and the church grows through the power of the Spirit. Now understand that this, this does not negate the church. In fact, this is an important understanding that the church, the body of Christ, the people that God has called, that the Spirit of God dwells within, is that church that the Lord, through his providence and his grace, has chosen to use to advance his gospel, right? And so ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit working through the church to send people out. So as we worship, as we fast, as we pray, as we gather together, the Spirit is working within each and every one of us that belong to him in our hearts, raising up and calling out those who were sent out. Calling out those who were sent out. And so the Spirit here is the actor involved in sending and, and a church that is going to be sending. The gospel advances and the church grows through the power of the Spirit. Acts 1.8, that first passage there that we look at is so important in Acts. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will receive power. It's through the church, depending on the Spirit, and sending people out that the ends of the earth will be reached will be reached. Now, as far as we recognize the work of the Spirit, even here as we, we discuss it, the work of the Spirit throughout the history of the church has been abused by many in church history. And so because of that, quite often we avoid those abuses and we try to keep our distance from the work of the church. And we become weak ultimately in this and then fear of going too far, fear of letting the Spirit work and fear of letting the Spirit move, that it may take us in places we shouldn't go because of abuses we have seen. But unfortunately, what that does is it only makes the church weaker. It only makes the church more powerful. It's the church that is dependent upon the Spirit of God, that is trusting in the Spirit of God that can truly change the world for Jesus Christ. It's the Spirit that sends us. 
There are many ways the Spirit works to help us in accomplishing this task. There are many ways the Spirit works to, to send us out and uh, for us to reach the nations. The Spirit applies the work of Christ in our heart. The Spirit is the presence of God within us. The Spirit teaches us and illumines the Scriptures, gives light to the Scriptures as we read them and grow in them. The Spirit gives assurance of our salvation as it dwells within our heart. The Spirit empowers our prayers, as the Scripture says. The Spirit enlivens our worship. It goes on and on of what the Spirit does that dwells within us. But I want to focus simply on three important things about ascending and equipping that the Spirit does. First, we, when we are set, sent, it is the Spirit that gives us the words to say. When we are sent out and we are sent to proclaim the good news of Christ, it is the Spirit that gives us the words to say. The Lord teaches us this in, his, in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 10, as he's sending out his disciples, he's sending them out to go and to share and to tell others that he has come. And he tells them, he says, you need to understand that as you go and you share, persecution will come also, intense persecution. In Matthew 10, 19 and 20, the Lord Jesus says, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak and what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Here, even in the most intense of situations, through persecution and difficulty, Jesus says it's the Spirit speaking through you that will give you exactly what you need to say. And so as you're being sent out, the Spirit will give you the words to say. Sharing the gospel or willingness to share the gospel is a belief and a trust issue quite often. Now, we'll step back from this and, and, and we'll have fear that comes in. And that's my ultimate point. We're scared sometimes to share the gospel or to speak the good news of Christ because of some fear that may be with us. And what I'm saying is that that fear is actually a belief or trust issue because the Lord says the Spirit of God dwells in you and he will give you the words to say. He will give you what you need. So you trust him and you believe in what he says and then you speak and watch God work and watch God do. You have the Spirit dwelling within you if you're a child of God. And so I love what it says in verse 46. Whenever challenged and persecuted, what does Paul do? It just simply says, he spoke out boldly. Whenever challenged and persecuted by the leaders in the, the Jewish leaders in the city that were, were looking to, to harm him or hurt them, it just simply says, and they spoke out more boldly and proclaimed the good news. The Spirit gives us the words to say in the face of opposition. Number two, the Spirit empowers people to overcome spiritual opposition. Jesus says this first as well. He says, by the Spirit of God, I will cast out the demons. By the Spirit of God, I will cast out the demons. Also here in chapter 13, verses 9 through 11, you see what happens whenever this Elymas, the magician, comes up. Whenever Elymas, the magician, comes up, Paul is going to address him. Paul... and Verse 9, Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil. Let me encourage you that if you say to anybody, you son of the devil, it better come from the Spirit. You know what I'm saying? 
is trust in that. But here Paul is, sees Elymas as he's trying to stop the gospel from going forward. He's trying to stop the proconsul from hearing. He sees this as a direct attack of the devil himself. And Paul steps up to him with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and confronts him and opposes him. And when he opposes him, we see what happens. You see that, that Elymas is, is blinded for a moment. The proconsul sees that work. But notice what's most important here. Notice what's most important. It's the proconsul believes what Paul is saying. He doesn't look at what happens with Elymas and sees that he's been made blind and go, oh, because he's made blind, I, be, I see. It says that because you hear the good news, he sees this action here done by the Spirit over Elymas is just a testimony to the word that is proclaimed by Paul, to the words proclaimed by him. And so the Spirit is working here when Paul says, you son of the devil, filled with the Spirit. Those that are opposing him have no power when the Spirit goes with us. And we're sent out by that Spirit. And number three, the Spirit ultimately guides and directs. As Galatians 5.25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I like that idea of keep in step with the Spirit. In fact, one of the more important books written on the Holy Spirit in our last 50 to 60 years is titled that, Keep in Step by the Spirit by J.I. Packer. As he's writing, he just says simply, that's what we're to do as believers. The Spirit dwells. We're to walk with him. I believe, I believe to keep in step with the Spirit is the same understanding when the Scriptures tell us to abide in Christ, right? To abide in Christ is to keep in step with the Spirit. That Jesus and the Holy Spirit working together, the Word and the Spirit going together. So to keep in step with the Spirit is to abide in Christ. To abide in Christ is to follow after the Lord and hide His Word in our heart. The Word of Christ dwells in you richly. To keep in step with the Spirit is to abide in Christ, is to hide His Word in our heart. And so as we are being sent out, we are dependent on every step with the Spirit of God. In obedience and in steps. And He will guide us and direct us. You're going to see this throughout this remaining part of the book of Acts. How the Spirit sends, how the Spirit guides, how the Spirit directs. They'll go to one city and the Spirit will lead them to the next. The Spirit will take them to the next place. My friends, that does not end in Acts. Still today, the Spirit of God guides His children to where they need to be when they are seeking Him and when they are keeping in step with Him through His Word. The Spirit is leading us here. It's leading. Is the Spirit leading us is a question we must be asking all the time. But it's not hard to figure out. When you ask that question of yourself, is the Spirit leading me? The simple question and, and the evaluations you must go through is this, am I trusting in God's Word? Am I being obedient to His Word? Not only that, am I being obedient to His Word and am I sharing His good news? Because as the Spirit leads us, as the Spirit leads us, the Scripture teaches us that He will guide us to where we need to go for the purpose of sharing the gospel, giving the good news. The Spirit leading us, then you will be obeying His Word, you will be sharing His gospel. Notice it has this supernatural element here, of course, that God is all-powerful and can do as this one Elymas is blinded. But I also want you to notice that's not regular in Acts. 
We, we may think it is, but, but Paul will be preaching here, and some, it says, the leading women and others get worked up. Nothing happens to them like this, right? There'll be other times that it doesn't happen. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. The constant that remains is Paul proclaims the good news of Christ. Sometimes he'll be beaten. Sometimes he'll be thrown in prison. Sometimes he'll have to get out by the, by the skin of his teeth. And sometimes he'll shake the dust off and leave as he does in our passage. Either way, what must not change is that you're proclaiming the good news of Christ, which gives us to our second point. We are sent to proclaim the word of God. We are sent to proclaim the word of God. We're sent by the Spirit. We are sent to proclaim the word of God. As verse 5 tells us, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God. Verse 4, they're sent out by the Spirit. When they got there, they proclaimed the word of God. It tells us that it, down in verse 15, as you, you see that second passage, whenever Paul and Barnabas enter into the synagogue to, to, to worship, and, and this was their practice, they go into the synagogue. I love what this passage does. In fact, this passage was used for me whenever I was a young preacher. And I had a pastor who uh, spent some time with me, and he would always uh, come up to me about 10 minutes before the service and say, you ready to preach? And I hadn't. It's like, I'm not supposed to. You know what I'm saying? And so I don't know what you're trying to prove here, uh, but I'm not ready to preach. I haven't prepared or anything else. And then he would get up and preach. And finally, what he wanted me to say was, yes. I figured it out one day. He wasn't going to make me preach. I just needed to say yes. Until the day that he walked up to me and said, are you ready to preach? And I said, yes. He said, all right, go ahead. So I did, and it was terrible. <laughs> His point to me was, those who are ministers of the gospel, who've been sent by the Lord to proclaim his word, should be ready at any moment to tell of the good news of Christ Jesus. At any moment. And so Paul here walks into the synagogue, and they get word back from the, the leader there, and he says, do you guys want to speak? And Paul, I can almost see it in his eyes before he opens up the little note. Do you guys want to speak? Or he hears from the little guy, you guys want to speak? Yes. Here you go, right here. Everybody listen to me. And in a moment, Paul is ready. Because what was Paul sent to do? He was sent to proclaim the word of God. He wasn't concerned about the platform in the city that he was working with. He wasn't concerned about what may happen to him after this. He wasn't even concerned about who was in the audience and what their sensibility was. In fact, he was ready to speak to those very sensibilities, to the Jews that were there. He's ready to go and tell them, let me tell you about Jesus, who is is the Messiah who came for us and who rose again. In a moment, Paul is ready. And we have been sent out to proclaim that word of God, always ready, five minutes to preach. And Paul's first sermon here is that reminder. And it just has so many things here. I'm just going to give you three more here quickly. Jesus fulfills the promises of Scripture. That's what Paul says. When you read through this, he's saying it's Jesus what Paul was sent to proclaim by the Holy Spirit was the name of Jesus Christ as the Savior and Lord. 
He goes back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, whenever the promises were given to Abraham. And remember, promises were given to Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a land, and I am going to bless you through a king is what we'll learn. Those three promises were given. Well, Paul just lays it out in his sermon how that's what God has done. He has made us great in verse 17. He has given us a land in verse 19. He's blessed us with a king in verse 21. He has done verse 23 says, as he promised. God has fulfilled all of his promises and this Jesus is the fulfillment of it all, Paul says. He's the one who's fulfilling the promises, but not only has he fulfilled it, Jesus was rejected. He came for us and he was rejected and not accepted. He's the one who fulfilled everything the Old Testament told us was coming. It's Christ Jesus, but instead of accepting him, we rejected him. And we, as he says in verse 27, are guilty of ignorance. We are condemned through, uh, in he, uh, excuse me, he was condemned though undeserved. And here, even this, even in his condemnation, he fulfilled the promises of God, as verse 29 says. In other words, the salvation that comes through us through Jesus Christ fulfills the promises of the Old Testament, and it was planned by God to save his people even when he was condemned. He came to save us and redeem us. But then he says in verse 30, this one who's fulfilled the promises, this one who was rejected and condemned, this one was raised from the grave, he says in verse 30. But God raised him. And then you see in verse 32 and, and, and verse on, on down, verse 33, he says that, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son and today I've begotten you. Ultimately, what Paul is saying is this Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the promises of God. And though he was uh, rejected and not accepted, still yet God raised him from the dead so that we may have life in him. Jesus is alive. This is the message of the world. This is what Paul was sent out to do. This is why the Antioch church says we can't keep this to ourselves. We have to tell someone about it. We have to send someone out. We have to support them as they go so that they can take this good news that Jesus is alive and tell the world. And this good news, as we see this message for the world, has not changed at all for us. It hasn't changed. Jesus still saves. Jesus still transforms lives. Jesus still gives hope. Jesus still reigns. He is alive and we serve a resurrected Savior who has told us to go and tell, share, give this good news to the ends of the earth. So when we sin, we're sent out by the Holy Spirit and we're sent out with this message that Jesus has fulfilled all the promises and he's alive. And we are sent out finally into the world. We're sent out by the Holy Spirit. We're sent out to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ is alive. We're sent out into the world. It's important to manage expectations. We have to learn to do that in so many different ways. Oftentimes, the greatest regrets are just unmet expectations. And, and quite often, those, those expectations were too high to begin with, right? I learned this selling cell phones. Sold cell phones in 
the early 2000s during the cell phone boom when everybody was buying and getting. And so you could sell cell phones, but you would make all kind of promises. Man, this thing's going to change your life. And it really didn't pan out. That's a joke. But you're selling cell phones in 2002. This is going to change your life. You can have a cell phone in your pocket. You can do it. And you talk it up and you talk it up and say, they say, give me four of them. All right, let's do it. And then you got to tell them, this is probably not going to work 90% of the places you go. This is probably not going to work when, you, when you're driving down the, uh, in, in, I was selling them in Kentucky. This is probably not going to work in central Kentucky. You pull out the map. Y'all remember those old cell phone maps that were red where they work? Y'all, some of y'all don't. I don't know. You pull that out and they're like, what's this big white spot right here in the middle of the state? Yeah, it's not going to work right there. And if you didn't manage those expectations, you were going to get a call. So my job ultimately was to sell them and then tell them it's not going to work in most places. Because I didn't want to get a call saying, this thing's broken. Because it's not working. Well, it's the same way here. When we look at the scriptures, when we read God's word, we see that we are being sent out. But there is no hiding the fact that being sent out by God is going to place you in a a world that is hostile to the Lord. There's no hiding it. It goes back to Acts chapter 4, right? I mean, it goes back to whenever uh, Paul and John were, were beaten and thrown in prison and kept overnight and they come out. And as the, they, they thank the Lord that they're out and they pray for more boldness, what do they say though? This is exactly what your word said would happen in, Acts, in, in Psalm 2. Your word said, Father, that they would be angry and upset about the coming of the Messiah. This is exactly what they said. So, so the persecution and the suffering that comes through it and the difficulty is not something that should catch us by surprise. We're sent into a world, and as Jesus prayed in John 17 with his disciples, as he prayed there with them on the night that he was betrayed, a passage that we looked at, a passage that we looked at quite often together, he says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world. Just as I'm not of this world, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them. So I have sent them, he says. Sent into a world that opposes the truth. Sent into a world that, that hates the authority of God. Sent into a world that doesn't like to hear that they are sinners condemned in desperate need of a Savior. Sent into a world that thinks they can solve their own problems or their understandings. Sent into a world that, that they well up in their own hearts such pride that they're not ready to listen to us about maybe here's a solution that, that the only solution you can possibly find. We're sent into a world that is going to hate the gospel of Christ when it hears the gospel of Christ. That's exactly what Jesus has said. That's exactly what we see here in Acts. We see it there in the first confrontation with Elymas. We see it here in this last with the leading ladies of the city who come out. We're sent into a world that opposes the truth. Opposes the truth. In fact, it tells us that they drove them out of the city. As I said, you read Acts When the gospel's proclaimed from one city to the next, either they're driven out, they're beaten, or they're imprisoned. It's really the only three things that happen ultimately. This is what we were told would happen, though. This is not something that should catch us by surprise. In fact, Paul and Barnabas went into the city and they proclaimed Jesus. And 
They told the good news of the one who's resurrected and he's fulfilled the promises and he can save and he can redeem. And they drove them out of the city. And in a symbolic statement, they shook the dust off their feet. Why? Because they did their job. They did what they were sent to do. It is not their responsibility to make converts in that city. It's not their responsibility to change hearts and change lives. In fact, they cannot do that. The responsibility of Paul and Barnabas was simply to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and let God work in their midst. And what we find is while they have opposition, they also have those who believe. They also have those who believe. In fact, the success of our work in sharing and spreading the gospel, the success of those we sent out is not found in how many converts they have. Hear me when I say that. In fact, the success of preaching is not found in how many converts we have. The success is found in its faithfulness to proclaim Jesus Christ as the resurrected Lord in accordance with his word and let the Lord work and move. The power of the Spirit. Notice as I've walked through this together as we close that I've said we over and over again. We. We are sent by the Spirit. We are sent to proclaim. We are sent out into the world. Let's be clear here. I fully believe this. While we talked last week about missions and missionaries, I want to say this today to us who are God's children to us who have been born again by the Spirit of God to believe and trust, all of us have been sent by God to proclaim his good news. All of us are sent out into the world with the command from Jesus, our resurrected King, go and make disciples. Go and proclaim the good news. 